Well, good morning. How's everybody? I love your pastor, and I'm honored that I get to call him friend, and one of the nearest, dearest friends I have. We love Michael and Savannah, and their little kiddos, and uh, you know what, Michael, when you have as many kids as we both do, it just all kind of runs together, you know, August, February, whatever, we got them all the time, hey. (laughs) So I hope you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to pull it out. If you're new to church, if you're new to the Bible, um, I want to say welcome, and uh, I want you to take a ride with us through God's Word as we look at an incredible principle here of submission, and Jesus always responds to submission. He always does, and that's the way that it works. It's very contrary to what you'll hear in the world, in the kingdom of God, the way up is down, and um, I think, I hope, as I've prayed and I've talked with Michael about just where you are as a church in this time of prayer, this time of fasting, this time of seeking the Lord, and um, this time of just, okay, God, where do we go from here? What's the next step? You know, we hear even that in just the verbiage and video and conversation. God, what's the next step? What does that look like? I think God gives us a very practical picture of that in his word, and I want us to look at that this morning. So would you pray right now? Can we pray together? Would you bow your head? Would you pray first? Say, God, would you speak to me through your word? you ask God right now and say, God, would you just, would you draw me to yourself before I'm a husband, before I'm a, um, a wife, a parent, a small group leader, before I'm an employee, before I'm anything, God, would you call me to yourself? Would you draw me to you? So Father, we ask for your help. Holy Spirit, we Ask as we open your word that's living and active and it's useful and for everything in our lives and especially where we are right now, Father, that you would help us live lives that are fully dedicated and surrendered to the greatest mission for the greatest cause for the greatest one of all time, whose name is Jesus. That we wouldn't embrace anything other um, than kingdom work, kingdom dreams, not an American dream, not a idea that we have in our hearts and in our minds. God, I pray that you would draw our hearts to you and that we would um, take a very clear look at the gospel this morning as Jesus approached his disciples and said, come follow me. Teach us what it means to follow you, Jesus, and that we would find so much joy, fulfillment, satisfaction for giving our lives away for the sake of the gospel. We ask this in your holy, holy, holy name this morning. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 5, we're going to walk through the first 11 verses for the next few minutes. And really, it's all going to come down to what I said a couple minutes ago. This thought, this incredible, life-defining thought that Jesus always responds to submission. Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1, starts with one day. And I just want to pause right there. I won't go this slow the entire time, but I just want to remind us, we were talking about it earlier this morning, even with um, the folks that are serving and um, just meeting together as a a team early this morning and praying is 
understanding that every day, dear friends, is a gift. Often you'll see this phrase right here, like it starts in Luke chapter 5. You see this all throughout Scripture. You see this all throughout the Gospels, all through these parables, all through these stories, one day. And I think it's important to note that every day has much value. I love what Moses says in Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I know at our house, um, it's easy to get into the grind of life where you have Sharpie in hand at the end of the day and you just put a big mark through that day. <sighs> this day's over. What's tomorrow I got? What are, we do- what are we doing this weekend? What are we supposed to be doing next week? Oh, we got an appointment and it just grinds. And the, what, the way that Moses verbs it there in Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our de- days means literally to hold each day with much value that we're not always looking forward to one day where we're like, you know what, if I can just survive this week, this day, this moment in time, and I can just make it to Sunday, or I can make it to this retreat, I can make it to small group, like those are good things to look forward to, but every single day is significant. So please don't miss that. Every day has much Value. When you walk out of that door, you go eat lunch and you put on your stretchy pants and you take a nap and then you gear up for a new week. Tomorrow, Monday, is a significant day. Tuesday is a significant day. As you pray and as you fast is significant days. When you're not praying and fasting, those are still significant days. God, we draw close to you. We draw near. Help me see what it practically looks like to walk with you if each day is significant, and especially if we know we're not promised tomorrow. It's easy to say that, but I think when life really hits us in in our lives or the lives of someone else, we're kind of brought back to reality, right? Wow, every day is significant. Michael and I were talking about last night, sitting around the grill, talking about our kids. Like, time tends to drag and slow down, but then you're like, so much time has passed. Holy smoke, (laughs) like, I won't get that day back. Every day has so much value. So please, please, just think, like, God, help me see and understand each day with much value. And I just want to encourage you and affirm you again, you're in a defining moment in your life right now, today. You will be tomorrow. Don't take a day for granted. One day, on one occasion, While the crowd was pressing in on him, him as Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, which is Peter, he said, Peter, put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, I just want to pause right there. For me, I'm a guy, I'm very simple-minded, I'm a very much a visual learner, and I've got to kind of see what's going on before I can keep going. And I like to tap into what I like to call a sanctified imagination, right? When I'm reading scripture, I beg God, God, make it come alive to me. Help me understand this, not just reading words and comprehending information, but like hit me in the heart. I mean, directly in the heart with it. So I pause and I see what's going on here. Okay, one day Jesus was walking down the shoreline at the Sea of Galilee. There's a lot of interesting 
things going around the Sea of Galilee. It's where people would trade. It's where people would meet. It's where people would work for a living and fish for a living, as we'll see here in just a minute. And Jesus is walking down the shoreline, and it says that people are literally pressing in on each other to try to get to Jesus. Jesus was a force to be reckoned with. Sometimes we get lost in, well, I guess Jesus shopped at Whole Foods with Chacos and just was holding up a peace sign all the time. No, Jesus was saying and doing things no one had ever seen or done. People was, he would make people upset. Often he would preach to the crowds and most everybody would go home. But people were still enamored with, what's he going to say next? What's he going to do next? They would press in on him. They literally think basketball, boxing each other out for a rebound. Like, that's my ball. Like, people would box each other out to get to Jesus. Like, my spot. What's he going to do? And they were pressing in on him as he walks down the shoreline. He comes up to Peter. Peter's in his boat. Peter's washing his nets. And Jesus begins a conversation with Peter. Hey, Peter, can I use your boat? Sure. Please don't miss this. This is where I have prayed this will be an encouragement to you. Now, any of you that have been around church for any given time, I mean, you can look a few verses down. You're like, I know where this is going. We tell this at Vacation Bible School, like all growing up. Come, drop your nets. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. We're conquering the world. We're... Before that ever happens, Jesus said, can I use your boat? What did Peter say? Okay. Not insignificant at all that before we ever get to where we all can jump ahead and see where we're going, there is significance in each day and there is significance in each one small step of obedience at a time. One small step of obedience after another small step of obedience after another small step of obedience. I think that's where we get locked up, even praying and fasting, like, oh, Haiti, Thailand, Middle East, across the country, across Savannah. Oh, my goodness. Like, huh. One small step of obedience, one day at a time. Please don't forget that. This is the difference that Jesus makes. We just breeze by. We're waiting for this huge, epic moment, but there's significance in every small moment as well. They all work together for God's glory and for the kingdom and for the advancement of the name of Jesus. Jesus here was giving Peter an opportunity, and he was after his heart. Even though crowds were always surrounding Jesus, Jesus was always like a heart surgeon going for the heart, and he takes that one step and gives an opportunity for Peter to be obedient. Hey, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. Can I use your boat? He wanted to be a part of Peter's life. He wanted Peter to have relationship with him, and they knew each other. They had, they had history. Now, Jesus being fully God and fully man, could he have levitated above the water and projected his voice louder than better than this mic? Yeah, hello, I'm Jesus. I'm here to teach everybody. You know, he wanted on purpose to connect with Peter. Please don't miss this. Like be as, just as willing to underline, yes, he used the boat as he was like, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Don't miss that. 
getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put a little out from the land. <laughs> Amen. Here we go. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Hey, Peter, let's put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, that's verse 4. Jump back in verse 3. He had just said, hey, let's put your boat out a little bit. I want to use it to teach. Verse 4, hey, next step, can we go fishing? Let's see what Peter says. And please don't miss this. This will be very important to understand this in its full context here in a minute. And Peter said, Master, We've toiled all night. We've took nothing explanation point, but at your word, I will let down the nets. You see that word master right there, capital M? Can I tell you what that means without getting all into like the original Greek and all that stuff and boring you out of your mind? That was Peter going, I know you're Jesus. I'm just a fisherman. I'm going to do it. So we're, we're going to do this. We're, I, I let you use my boat. We're going to go fishing. Master, out of respect, this doesn't make sense. Let me tell you why he did this and why he, he reluctantly said yes. Now, here Peter is, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, we'll see them here in just a minute. They definitely have a part to play in this. They've been out fishing all night, Peter just said. Why was he out fishing all night? Why was he up on the shore washing out all the gunk and the junk out of his nets to get ready to go fishing again? Because in this day and time, the most profitable and efficient fishermen fished at night in shallow water. Okay? Here it is, the middle of the day. And Jesus just said, let's go put out in the deep water. Let's go fishing. Okay. I mean, like, it just makes much sense. It's like you holding the hook and throwing the rod and reel in the water. It just doesn't make sense. But you're Jesus. I get who you are. I get what you're about. I get why those people push each other out of the way to just see what you're going to say or do. But I'm a fisherman. Like This is what I do know. This is what I can control. This is what I can anticipate. This is what I can be really good at. And we're going to do it. But I'm going to tell you, master, eye to eye on his two feet, I'm going to tell you why this doesn't make sense. Now, go, where were we just at? Peter, can I use your boat? Sure. Can we go fishing? Really deep water, way out there, beautiful day. Before I put my this foot on that one, like, let's just pause. I'm going to do it, Jesus. Like, anybody with me? Y'all ever do this? Just me? Pretty much just me. Okay, cool. So, Jesus, like, I'm going to, I'm going to take the next step. And it's really not that big of a step. But can I, you're starting to get all, I'm tired. It didn't make sense to do this right now. Why don't we get a night? I was about to go to Pastor Michael's house and eat bacon and eggs and pancakes. That's what we had this morning. It was amazing. And I, I was going to get a nap. And then I was going to double up to catch up tonight because we're behind. I've got a family to provide for. Doesn't make sense. Master, good teacher, good respect. 
authority figure. I get it. You're Jesus. We'll do it. I'm just going to throw in my two cents of why this does not make sense, but we'll do it. See what happens next. We toiled all night, took nothing, but that's your word. We'll go fishing. I'll let down the nets that I just cleaned up that I'm, whatever, let's just go. (laughs) Verse six, and when they had done this, it says here that they enclosed a large number of fish. Now, I don't know how many fishermen we got. I mean, there's some good little holes here and there in this part of the state. I used to, when I was playing football at Georgia Southern, I used to shell out my tickets to local farmers, be like, just for fishing rights, right? We would come back with stories and be like, you ain't gonna believe the bass we just landed in that guy's pond. I've got some stories, right, of large number of fish I enclosed, right? You're not going to believe it. Where's the picture? I didn't bring my phone, you know. I don't know. It just, it was great. Well, how, what all was happening? When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Okay. Maybe it was a lot. I love this right here, y'all. Verse 7. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Pause. Can we just like not? Again, let's don't breeze through this. One small step of obedience after another small step of obedience. Peter, let's go fishing. Let's go fishing in the deep waters. Put all those nets that you just got ready for tonight. Let's go mess them up again. Let's go throw them out. Let's go fishing. Just so you know, this doesn't make sense, but whatever, we're going. Get in the boat, Jesus. Jesus would often recline when he'd stay somewhere for a while. I can see him up at the front. Maybe he's got a foot hanging out, like, you know, like tapping his foot in the water and his holy hair is like in the, in the wind. He knows what's coming, right? I got Peter's heart. It's reluctant. It's hard. It doesn't want to submit, but I got to help him along the way before I, I know what I'm about to ask him. But I'm, I've got to demonstrate my lordship to him before he's actually going to submit to my lordship. So we'll do this at your pace and your way. <laughs> I'm coming after you, Peter. Jesus is coming after you too, church. I'm just telling you, a little bit at a time, one step at a time, even when we're like, no, that does not make sense. Uh, let's pray more about, no, there's nothing to pray about. Just obey. Let's go. Get in the boat. Let's go fishing. He pushes out. They want to go to the deep water. Surely it takes a little while to get out there. They don't just crank up like the trusty Johnson and be like, out there, way out there, right? It takes a while, like, all right, hitting some waves, and here we go. It's going to take almost an hour to get out at that point, what he's talking about. And Jesus is just smiling because he's looking around going, I own all this. I made all this. Psalm 89, I'm the Lord over the sea. I'm about to demonstrate my lordship over the sea. What's under this water that he can't even find, I'm about to throw it in his face. They get out there. They throw the nets out like he's done hundreds, if not thousands of times. They start pulling them in. It's it's like muscle memory, right? Just pulling them in. I remember kind of chasing a rabbit here. Um, literally on my grandfather's deathbed. He was a fisherman by trade. He did this for decades. Um, That's how they survived. And uh, I remember he couldn't see, he couldn't talk, he couldn't carry any coherent 
connection of any kind, but he was on his sheets just for days before he passed away, pulling in nets, pulling in nets. I mean, it's just like part of your DNA. Pulling them in, pulling them in. Jesus is maybe helping him pull them in. And all of a sudden, there's like this, <clears throat> this tug. Like, that's not normal in the middle of the day in really deep water when it doesn't make sense to be out here. Maybe he's thinking, I don't know. I got stuck. See? That's why it didn't make sense. We're out here going to rip my net in half because it's hung on something, probably somebody else's boat, big dummies that came out here in the middle of the day like us. I don't know. Let's pull. And he starts realizing, you know those moments in life? I know you've never had these. I've had a lot of these where it's kind of like told you so moments, but nobody says anything. Like this happens in my marriage with my beautiful bride all the time. She just kind of gives me that look, and I'm like, she was right. Dang it. <laughs> you know? No! <laughs> So Peter is looking down. They're pulling up these nets. There's tension, so much so that the nets begin to break. And all this maybe shiny, rapid movement. And again, y'all, just don't, don't, let's don't get in a theological debate. It's just how it happened in my head. Like maybe there's that one fish, like, you know, like from Nemo. It's like, swim away. You know, there's, a, there's this one coming up, jumping out of the water, and it's like, all over his face that reminds him, snaps him into reality. Oh, what in the world? Ah, fish, ah, net's breaking. Put him in the boat. Jesus is like, <laughs> I'm Lord of the sea, son. When are you going to wake up? Let's go. Put him in the boat. And they're freaking out. Peter's freaking out. Net's breaking. Boat's sinking. Peter goes, what to do next? Didn't plan that. Help, help, need help. Verse 7, what did it say he did? They, I'm sure he called for help, but signaled. Somebody give me a signal. Way out there in the deep water, okay? James, John, on the shore, doing the same thing Peter was doing. Mending their nets, folding them up, getting them just so-so, getting prepared to go out the next night. And maybe like just so, ever so faintly in the distance, just like this. What the world? Look out there. Fish are jumping over the boat. Boat's sinking. Jesus is just like, yeah, you know, and Peter's like, you know, they need help. Get in the boat. They get in the boat, push out, like, put your back into it, man. They need help. He's sinking out there, like, what in the world's going on? And then they finally get out there. They throw their nets out. They're helping them bring theirs in. Their nets are breaking. Their boat's sinking. It's just a hot mess. And in the middle of this really significant day, before they would ever do things and take these huge steps to change the world, Jesus was grabbing all of them at the heart by demonstrating his lordship over everything around them to where it finally just zeroed in on their heart. And he's like, that's, that's what I'm after. I'm after your heart. It's pretty crazy out here in the middle of the water. Boat's sinking. Net's breaking. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I just want you to see I'm really coming after your heart. I just want you to be obedient. I just, I want to take you places. I want to change your life. I want to use you. I don't need you. I want you. You don't have to do this. I want you to understand, like, you get to do this. Like, there's a lot I want to give you. I want to give you the Holy Spirit. I want to help you. And I want to use you despite everything 
in your life that's so jacked up. Despite all the things you've messed up. And despite how hard it is for your little human heart to reach out your hands and hold these two thoughts at the same time. I am broken and it's not about me. It's hard to hold those because we go like that and then we go like this and we go, God, that doesn't make sense. Why would we do that? I'm not comfortable with that. Master, master, master. Jesus is our master. I'm so happy to just say he's our master. We may not say it like that, but that's our heart, right? Right? Go with me? Let's see what happens. Verse 8. When Peter saw this, <laughs> he fell down. Wouldn't you? He just melts into a puddle, right? I fell down where? At Jesus' knees. Saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. O, capital L, church, what? Lord. Lord, I'm a sinful man. Depart, just get away from me. I've just messed this all up. For he and all who were with him were astonished at this catch of a lifetime. Catch of fish they had taken and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. You notice a difference from master. Got respect for you. I, I mean, yeah, Jesus, you're a big deal. I get it. I'll tell anybody that. But out of respect, man, come on, like, just you're all up in my junk. Like, this don't make sense. To now, even in his reluctance, even in his sinful, selfish heart, Jesus keeps pressing in and helping him along the way to keep taking small steps of obedience to the point where he demonstrates his lordship, not just over fish and water and air, but the heart's of these people right in front of him, not forced on him, but coming right to him going, what, what do you want to do with this? And Peter demonstrates the appropriate response, I think, a very biblical response, to fall down and declare with his mouth that Jesus is capital L, Lord. Can I tell you what that means? He or she to one whom belongs. I belong to you. Matter of fact, I need you. Matter of fact, I don't know what I'm doing. I submit. The last thing I want to do. I thought it was interesting that Peter fell at Jesus' knees. So I started digging a little bit, and it was really cool, the kind of the journey that God took me on. I mean, I started in Genesis. And I just want to give you a very broad, like, quick, so many more in between all these, but just a quick snapshot at the full biblical picture of this word of this moment. We see it in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, their sin was exposed, and it said they hid themselves because the Lord 
appeared to them. Abraham, Genesis 18, said the Lord appeared to him by the oaks. So he bowed himself to the earth, declared him as Lord. Moses at the burning bush was told that he was standing on holy ground. He hid his face. He recognized him as Lord, Exodus 3. Joshua 5, Joshua fell with his face to the ground and called out to the Lord. Ezekiel's call in Ezekiel 1, he took off his sandals because he was standing on holy ground. Isaiah 6 in the throne room, we, we hear my Lord, send me, and we'll probably preach that and teach that at some point, especially doing the incredible things y'all are doing. But before that happened, woe is me, for I've seen the king, the Lord of hosts, and he fell down in that throne room. Acts chapter 9, I think y'all were supposed to be there originally today. Really incredible story, Saul's conversion when he became Paul, right? (laughs) He was on, he had signed off on the persecution and death of Christians, was on the way to do the same thing. Jesus meets him, bam, struck, totally rocked to the ground, and this evil heart who was persecuting the church of Jesus. I love this. Acts 9. Go check it out. Saul at that time goes, Who are you, Lord? (laughs) Who are you, Lord? He knew. He knew. And Jesus said, Hey, man, what you doing? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm Lord. Y'all, the Garden of Gethsemane. When they were coming to seize Jesus to take him to the cross, Jesus is sweating clots of blood. He's overwhelmed with wrestling with being obedient. There it is again. And this army of hundreds of men come, and they're like, we're looking for this Jesus guy. Where is he? Right there. And they all look at him, and they go, the army that was coming after one man, they all hit the ground. Go read it. And Jesus was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I have that effect on everybody. Everybody up, everybody up. Y'all are supposed to be taking me to the cross. <laughs> like, there's, a, there's a plan here, and I'm here to be the author and the perfecter and finisher of this faith. It's mine. I'm Lord. But I, I forgot. Sorry. Everybody back up. Everybody back up. Change. They're like, take me away. Like These crazy moments of lordship on display. Revelation 4, 24 elders around the throne right now as we speak falling on their face, declaring the lordship of Jesus. Revelation 1, how that was even written for John to even see it. On the island of Patmos, John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Great place to be, right? And I'm walking, and I hear this voice call out to me, and he turns around, and he sees and describes later Jesus. And I'll just, for the sake of time, it doesn't look like any picture of Jesus you've ever seen on a church, in a church hallway, by the way. Go read that. Um, We don't see pictures like that, but he tells us what Jesus looked like in that moment, and it literally almost scared him to death. How do we know this? John said, I fell at his feet as though dead. He scared me to death. Now, this is a really important moment that I've just described in these several examples. We see this all throughout the Gospels as well, throughout Jesus' ministry and his life on earth. Is Jesus out to just scare the wits out of you and you'd be like, oh, he's Lord, I'm not. 
I don't think he's meant to keep you there. I do think it's a very significant moment to realize who's after your heart and what he wants to do. I thought you said Jesus always responds to submission. He, he does. Every one of those examples there. Isaiah. Take the tongs. Sin atoned for. Hey, stand up. Who's, who's going to go for us? Who are we going to send? Isaiah. <laughs> me, me, me. Pick me, pick me, pick me. Submission. Response. Revelation 1. John. Hell on his face, like just, I'm done, I'm dead, I'm over, game over. Jesus responds, John, I, I know about scared you to death. Um, speaking of death, um, go read it, beautiful. I actually hold the keys to death, I own that. So stand up, I'm submitting to his submission. Responding, John, look around. I want you to write what, what man and the enemy meant for evil to send you to this forsaken island, they thought. I'm, I'm actually here too. And I want you to get a pen and paper. I want you to write down the book of Revelation. I'm going to use it for millennia to come. Encourage our church. We're all part of this. Just, just be obedient now in this moment of lordship, I just want you to write down the things you're about to see. It's going to be crazy. People are going to have Bible studies. It's going to wig them out. Like, they're going to not be able to understand. But I want to use you to do this. Peter, again, I kept seeing people falling to the ground. People falling at his feet, at the hem of his garment. Like, there's all these places. And it, kept, it said that he fell at Jesus' knees. And I'm like, why is this like the only place I can find knees? Like there's an actual distance. People kept going here. What stopped him? And I'm like, duh. He's in the middle of the boat with all the fish. Like he can't get to his feet because of the fish. Closest he can get is to his patella kneecap. Fish don't matter. Boats don't matter. My stinking rotten attitude. I just... Your Lord, get away from me. I'm a sin. His sin was exposed and his heart was in the right position. One small step of obedience after another small step of obedience after another step of obedience that humbled him to the point of Jesus, your Lord, I belong to you. I'm sorry. Repentance happens in this place, really beautiful place, beautiful word, very gospel-centered word to not just have a change of heart and mind, but all of them working together to something happens to where you become actually bowed down. I think this is why altars are so significant. It's not a place to just look at or go to other churches and be like, oh man, they got some really nice like, like fabric on that. No, an altar is a place where you die. It's a place where you lay things down. It's a place where you surrender. It's a place more than ever physically kneeling somewhere, although I think it's extremely significant I don't think we spend near enough time on our knees, if we even do at all. But our hearts bowing to the Lord Jesus. I belong to you. And there's so much grace in that place. Church, there's so much grace in that place right there. Of a surrendered 
devoted heart. Because he's not after analytics and statistics. He's not after numbers. He's not after this or that or the other. He wants your heart. And he always responds to submission. Let's finish it up here and show you. And Jesus said to Peter, red letters, bloody words, here they come. Do not be afraid, John. Peter, from now on, you will be catching men. So what's the result of this whole thing? When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. That's really how it works. Not in this place where we get stuck and we're like, well, when is this huge moment going to happen? The, the moment you're sitting in right now is significant. He's after your heart. He's the Lord of your heart. He wants to change you. He wants to fill you with himself. He wants you to have this opportunity that he presents everyone, says he left, they left everything and they followed him. The same opportunity that many people were given. Like the first one that I think about is like the rich young ruler who had an offer and an invitation to be a disciple. And it said that he left everything behind, Jesus. And he left. Even saddened. Church, where's your heart today? Is he Lord of your life? Maybe that's the first step of obedience for you is to go, I don't know Jesus. Here's my heart. And here in just a moment, we want to make ourselves available for you. There's a culture in this incredible place to where people want to talk, that we will want to connect with you, either in this service or after the service before you leave. There are people that are ready and willing to talk to you, to help you understand what it means to submit your heart to Jesus, to repent of your sin and place your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus because he will save you. The hard part is when we have this posture of standing up on our own and trying to control everything, it just, even with a heart of, well, Jesus, I mean, I get that you're... God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Jesus, save me. Maybe that's your heart today. Or maybe as a believer, you continue to pray as Michael led us earlier. Where am I at? Are you in that place of, master, can I just tell you a few things that don't make sense right now? I just tell you about some things in my own life that don't make sense right now. Like, where are you at? Master. And as we get ready to sing and as we get ready to pray and even this time to respond, I'm going to pray and just kind of get out of the way. Maybe it's to come to this altar and just recognize the lordship of Christ. Jesus, your Lord, I trust you. I need you. God, the beautiful thing about the gospel, all you need is need. That's it. You bring nothing to the table. The only thing we bring, good, bad, and ugly, is no good. All you need is need. 
Jesus, I need you, your Lord. Show me what that means right now. What's the one small step of obedience? Because I get really bogged down in thinking of this one humongous epic moment of just huge defining moments. They come and they go. Equally as significant are the steps that even get us there, church. Father, we love you. We praise you that you walk with us, that you pursue us, that Jesus, you are Lord and you're our Savior. And there is more grace and mercy in you, Jesus, than there is sin in us and bad, rotten, stinking attitudes in us. You still come after us. You are good. You are faithful when we are not. You promise grace for the humble. It's the only condition to humble ourselves and just say, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. God, I need you. God, because you're Lord, I belong to you. Show me what to do. Or even for us that know what we should do, James, like James says, that we know what to do and then we don't do, that we're still living in sin because we're just not doing what we know. You've made it abundantly clear you've called us to do for that next step. Pray for the hearts of men and women and children in this room, God, that you would do only what you can do, which is make a dead heart come alive. Surrender their life to you, repent of their sin. Step into a relationship with you. You've paved the way. You've done everything. You died on the cross in our place. God, we praise you for that, that you're Lord over life and death and eternity in time, in space, in our lives, in every single step, in every single moment of every single day. God, may we be faithful. May you give us the grace and the strength to draw close to you, knowing that you'll draw close to us. Show us what to do. We need you, God. We submit ourselves to you. We submit our plans to you. We rest in Proverbs 16, 9. It says, we plan our way, but you order and ordain our steps. I pray that we would surrender to that truth. We ask these things in your name.